Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. In FCBC, here's how we say it. We live, we love, we serve. Amen. In that same spirit of recognizing those of us who may be having a hard time on this day, I want to speak to you intentionally on today. Um, So turn with me to the gospel according to Matthew, the book of Matthew, the first chapter. This is Christmas Day and Oftentimes in churches throughout this country, throughout the world, they'll be talking about the birth of Jesus in some way, shape, or form. And we will do the same today. We'll come at it a little different today. So again, Matthew 1, verses 18 through 23. And I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture. Matthew 1, 18 through 23. Here's how it reads, beloved. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amen. Let's pray, beloved. God, we thank you on this day, and we are so grateful, O God. For on this day, O God, we do not come thinking about gifts or materialism. God, on this day, we gather thinking about the birth of new possibility, new possibilities in our lives. God, thank you for the advent of hope and joy and peace in this season. We pray, O God, that as friends and family and loved ones gather today, O God, they will do so, O Lord, under the gaze of your spirit and in your love. God, thank you for this opportunity, for one more day of gathering, one more day of fellowship, one more day to experience your grace, your mercy, and your love. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me uh, 
Read that again in your hearing, beloved. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Let me read verse 23 again. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Some of you may be even reading the King James Version, which actually says God with us. Amen. This morning, I want to speak from this thought, uh, beloved, and, and I'm speaking directly to certain people today on this Christmas day. I want to speak from this thought. You are not alone. You are not alone. This moment could have been a moment of utter devastation for Joseph. The story, for many of us who read it through the lens of faith, makes complete sense. We have been told in this narrative that Mary, in some miraculous way, has been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. That's what the story has been told to us. But I don't know if we ever really look at this story from Joseph's position. In Joseph's time and in Joseph's culture, Marriage, as now, was sacred. People were betrothed to one another, and he was betrothed to Mary and she to him. The challenge was is that Mary was with child, and Joseph and she had not yet consummated the marriage. They had not been together. Joseph clearly had deep feelings for Mary, primarily because in that day he was within right to publicly expose her because she would have been an embarrassment to her family and an embarrassment to him, especially because he and Mary never consummated the relationship. He needed, or rather he loved her deeply, the scripture shows, because he was not willing to submit her to public disgrace. He was going to dismiss her quietly and just move on about his life, and she would then move on about her life with this child, and we don't know what the aftermath could have been, but that was Joseph's plan to avoid what would have been a devastating moment for him, a devastating time for Mary, an embarrassing and shameful moment for the two of them, but in particularly for Mary. And Joseph's love or care or compassion would not let him expose her. 
But his care and his compassion and his love does not minimize the fact that it could have been and should have been a devastating moment for him. He had made the decision to dismiss her quietly. And just when he had resolved to do that, the scripture says that he was visited by an angel of God who informed him about Mary's circumstance, who let him know about the significance of the child that she would bear, that she was bearing. And and in that moment, he was given a responsibility, name this child. Jesus in the Greek, Yeshua in the Hebrew but it means the Lord saves. What is important for most of us when we read this story, we read it as a narrative about the birth of Jesus, is that we don't always know the background of the story. We don't always know the background of the writing. We don't always know the context of the writing. And it's important on this Sunday to understand the context. And so permit me for a moment just to teach a bit because this is important. You see, when we get to the Gospel of Matthew, most biblical scholars believe that the book of Matthew was written sometime between 80 and 90 A.D. That's important because the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, is written maybe 10 to 20 years after a pivotal event in the life of the people of God in 70 A.D. There was an uprising among the Jews in Rome. And so to punish the Jews for their uprising, for their attempted revolt against the empire, against their oppression, the Roman Empire devastated Jerusalem. And not only did they devastate Jerusalem, but they destroyed the main temple of God, the place that the people of God, the Jews believed was the dwelling place of God. It was destroyed rendered to ashes and crumble a, a, an ash heap because of the apparent rebellion by the Jews of the Roman Empire. And Rome wanted to make a point. They not only destroyed the temple, but they destroyed and killed many people, men, women, and children, to make a point that if anybody tried to rise against the empire, they would utterly be destroyed. And so when the time of Matthew, the book is written, The temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed for some 10 to 20 years, and the people have no center for worship. So as the writer of Matthew begins to write this story, he then places the birth of Jesus in this moment to a people who would read this narrative, who are living in the aftermath of utter devastation. The temple has been destroyed. Hope seemingly is gone. And he writes this narrative to a people who, again, are living in the aftermath of destruction, wanting to give them hope. And the writer of Matthew believes that giving hope to people who have lost their worship space and lost their centering and lost their religious symbol and their God symbol would be to couch this story in such a way that it would be empowering to those who have no hope. So the writer of the book of Matthew, tells the Jesus birth scene in this particular way that begins with pain and devastation and feelings of hurt from this man, Joseph. And in the midst of his devastation, he's being told he has an assignment, and that assignment is to name this child, a child that is not his, but a child that has sacred significance. 
He is given the name of Yeshua or Jesus in the Greek. The Lord saves. And you have to understand that when the writer of Matthew writes this and the people hear this story and even some read this story and they know of the oral tradition, this idea that the Lord saves is important because they've seen the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. They've seen the death of some of their people because of this rebellion. And some of them began to feel hopeless in the midst of this devastation. And the writer of Matthew uses this birth narrative to instill hope, to remind the people that the Lord still saves. The Lord is still doing and moving in our midst so that the birth of the boy is the birth of hope and the birth of possibility, the birth of a new day, the birth of a revival of God's move. It is a sign that God has not forgotten about his people. Oh, beloved, you need to hear this because it is not just the context. It is what this story meant to Jewish people who are living in utter devastation, confusion, pain, chaos, turmoil. In the midst of that, the writer says, God still saves. The Lord is still present. Somebody needs to know that today because oftentimes it is in those moments of despair and chaos and and destitution that we need to be reminded that the Lord saves. That the Lord saves, not in some Christian, pious, moralistic sense, but that God will get in the midst of our misery and our mourning and our grieving and our hopelessness and give us new reasons to hope. Because every now and again, you need to be reminded while you're in the pit of your pain that the Lord saves, that the Lord saves. This is what Joseph is told, that he must name his child. And the name of the child is what gives hope that the Lord saves. But then the writer of Matthew does something else strange, beloved, because when he writes this story, he not only tells it from Joseph's perspective and Joseph's assignment, but then in that 23rd, well, 22nd and 23rd verse, the writer is then trying to connect the Jesus birth narrative to another birth narrative in the Bible. See, you won't get this by reading Matthew. You have to understand what the writer in Matthew is referring to in verse 23. Look what he says. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The writer of Matthew says that the birth of Jesus took place to fulfill a prophecy that what? A virgin will bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Some translations say God with us, but he says that the birth of Jesus is to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy. What prophecy is he referring to? I'm glad you asked. Isaiah 7 to be particular and specific. It's in Isaiah 7, and you need to hear this. Isaiah 7 tells the story of when the people of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, is under attack by the king of Aram and the king of the northern tribe of Israel. It is as if family teamed up with enemies to fight against family. 
That is what Ahaz, the king of Judah, was dealing with. And the prophet Isaiah comes to King Ahaz in his moment of desperation and despair because he is under attack from family and enemies. And he says to the king, he asks the king, King, what sign do you want from God to know that God is with us? And the king is in such a state of despair that Ahaz cannot even think of a sign because Ahaz says, I do not want to put God to the test when we are under such duress. And the prophet Isaiah says, if you won't name it, I will name it, that there will be a child born to a virgin and that child will be the signal of hope that God is moving in our midst. And when that woman bears that child, that child will be named Emmanuel, which means God is with us. King, you need to know that God is with us, that we are not alone in this season of attack, that we do not walk by ourselves, even though it seems as though the odds are stacked against us. King, I need to let you know that God is with us and the birth of a child will signal this new day. New birth will overcome the agony of prior death. New birth will overcome the despair of prior loss. New birth will overcome the woundedness and the hurt of being let down by people you love. New birth will be the signal that God is up to something, beloved. I hope you hear that today because just as those feelings at times of devastation and despair are real, we have to understand that just as real is the sign that God is moving, that for every death, for every hurt, for every loss, for every grieving moment, God is weaving God's way in those moments to give us new signs of hope. And what happens so often is that we're so fixated on the devastation. My integrity being destroyed, Joseph. Devastation. The temple being destroyed in Jerusalem. Devastation. King Ahaz under attack by his family and his foes. In the midst of devastation, God has a way of running a line of hope in our lives. Somebody needs to know this because what happens when despair and destitution and destruction and calamity and pain come together in your life. They have a way of making you feel as though you are moving through this journey by yourself. And sometimes when you're moving through this journey by yourself, you're looking for some glimmer of hope, some sign that all is not lost. And every now and again, I'm convinced in my own life that God will do something to remind you that no matter how dark it may seem, you do not walk alone, that there is Emmanuel, God, with us. You see, in some translations named the King James Version, in other translations, that passage says God with us. But that is not how it translates from the Hebrew. It says God is with us. That is, is third person, present tense. God is. Not God was, but God is and perpetually so. There's never not a moment when God is not with us. And I speak now particularly because there are times we only can understand God as God doing for us. Because the truth is so often our relationship with God is about God performing on our behalf, 
moving on our behalf, acting on our behalf. There's some people who do not understand divine presence outside of divine activity, who do not understand divine identity outside of divine performance. But I got to tell you, I've lived long enough to know this, that in my walk with God, my faith has let me know that it's not always about divine action or divine performance. But in those moments of destitution, devastation and chaos, I need to know that I am not by myself. Because that is when things begin to fall apart. It is not just when things go wrong. It is not just when your world seems like it is turned upside down. It is when in the midst of those moments, you feel like you are alone. God is with us. That is a word that springs eternal for those who live in spaces of aloneness. We're in the midst and have been in the midst of a pandemic. But I like something that was done in England in 2018. In England, they realized that they had an epidemic in their culture. One that we don't talk about in our culture this way. They realized they had an epidemic of loneliness among the people. So much so that in 2018, I believe it was, that they created a minister of loneliness to deal with the loneliness epidemic. Those feelings don't just exist in the UK. Those feelings are here right now. Because although today is a day of celebration, today is a day of gathering, today is a day of remembrance, today is a day filled with joy and love, for some, today is a rough day. Today is a day filled with deep feelings of loneliness. It often happens in these celebratory moments, especially for those of us who, who feel unimportant or disconnected or ignored or isolated. When loneliness begins to creep into your space and your mind and in your consciousness, it begins to move in ways that can become destructive. If you think about it in this season, we see in this time of the year an increase in suicides that we've talked about. We've seen that increase, and it happens around these holidays at times. Why? Because people feel lonely. And if the gospel cannot speak to those who feel lonely, then the gospel cannot speak at all. If God's word cannot speak to address those who live with deep feelings of aloneness, then that word can't speak at all. Because I'm going to say it again. When that time of pain and hurt hits and chaos and destruction and confusion accompany it, it can often lead us to deep places where we feel often alone, spaces and places that reinforce the woundedness we feel. It's in those moments that you don't necessarily look for something to be done. You want the reassurance that you do not walk this way by your self. Those feelings of loneliness are real. 
beloved. And there's somebody watching today who's feeling it right now. You are in the pit of that despairing moment because of feelings of isolation and disconnection. You feel as though you've been ignored and overlooked and marginalized. And then you feel as though no one else understands what you've been dealing with. The devastation has blurred your vision. The devastation has caused you to retreat into spaces because you already feel as though no one understands what you are going through. But what you need to know first, beloved, is that you are not alone in feeling lonely. You are not the only one who feels lonely today. I don't say that to minimize the feeling. I say that to let you know that you are not alone. That although you may feel lonely and those feelings are real, that you are not the only one feeling that today, that there are many people whom this day, this moment is a painful moment and they too may have retreated and they too may feel disconnected and they too may feel overlooked and they too may feel isolated and they too may feel ignored and they too may feel unimportant and you need to know that you are not alone that you are part of a great, amazing company of amazing people who have done amazing things. They just have a tendency to deal with crippling emotions. We never know, and if the past few weeks have not taught us that, we never know what some people are wrestling with. Amazing people, gifted people, talented people, powerful people can all be held captive by emotions that get the best of them. And sometimes those emotions, again, give birth to loneliness and feelings of aloneness. And there's nothing more dangerous than when someone is hurting and feel as though they are by themselves. So in this season, beloved, if you are dealing with feelings of loneliness, I want to leave you with a few things today. One, I already stated it. You are not alone in feeling lonely. Two, realize this, that sometimes when those feelings of loneliness come, it creates a false narrative. It actually makes you think that you are lonely because you don't think always about the connections you do have. So the next thing you need to do, not only feel okay in the feelings of loneliness, but maybe you need to take an inventory of the connections that you do have. You see, in this age right now, shaped by social media and this almost unquenchable desire for celebrity and attention. Understand that having followers ain't the same as having friends. And sometimes we forget that you don't need a thousand friends to have a support team around you. I've learned in my life that friendship is essential to my personal soul, and I don't need a whole lot of folk around me. I just need some people who care and love about me enough to be with me and show compassion for me in those moments of loneliness. You see, taking that inventory of your connections is a way of reminding yourself that these feelings are real, but there's another narrative countering those feelings and that narrative, and that is the connections you do have, which means that in those moments of those feelings of loneliness, engage the connecting spaces you have. 
In other words, don't be ashamed to share what you are feeling with people who are in your life, who you trust and who you love and who you know love you back. Because again, the false narrative created by feelings of loneliness will let you think that there is no one else in your life who cares. But you do have connections. You do have connections that can help you keep your balance. You do have connections that can help you maintain your sanity. You do have connections that can help you work on your wellness in such a way that you build up a reservoir of strength and hope to counter these moments of aloneness, loneliness, and isolation. Take an inventory of your connections. And then can I tell you this one, and I really don't have a lot to say after this one, slow down a little bit. It's amazing how anxious we can become when we feel lonely. We start moving in ways to counter the loneliness and the anxiety simply increases, slow down a little bit. Take a deep breath. Because maybe the inability to make those connections and create the support team and, and reach out to your network is because anxiety has you wound up in such a way that you never slow down to reflect on what is for you. It's that beautiful scene in the scriptures when the prophet's servant saw the people coming to get Elijah and and he saw all the armies that were sent to take Elijah and the servant was terrified. And then the prophet prayed, God, open my servant's eyes that my servant may see that we have more for us than those against us. Ah, maybe, maybe, maybe that's what it takes this morning. Maybe that's the prayer. God, open his eyes, open her eyes, help them see, help them slow down enough to breathe enough, to reduce the anxiety enough to realize, beloved, that you have more for you than against you. You truly have more. And you may say to yourself, well, I don't have a lot, Pass. I only have one or two friends. But can I tell you something? I already said it. You don't need an army to contribute to your well-being. Sometimes all it takes is that one person who cares enough about you to be with you. You see, can I say this? This is why. The idea of not only people being with us, but how God uses people to rescue us in those lonely moments is that when I've been hurt the most and friends have shown up to be there. I remember when I had a stroke in 2018, it was one of the most confusing and disorienting moments of my life. And I had some friends who flew to New York to come see about me. It was really two friends who came. It wasn't a whole army of people. Two friends came and they stayed at my house and they sat with me every day. And sometimes there was no conversation had. There was no talking about pastimes. They didn't feel the compulsion to make me laugh. They didn't say things like, well, you know, you'll get better. They saw me there not feeling good and uncomfortable and struggling with words and all that. And they didn't say the things you feel compelled to say because oftentimes, when we're around people who are hurting and who are feeling mournful and grieving, we feel like we have to say something because we forget the ministry of presence. We always think we got to speak and have the right words. No, you don't have to have the right words. You just have to know how to be still sometimes. And in those moments when I was going through the worst of that situation, looking over and seeing somebody with me meant more than listening to what they had to say. 
I knew that I was not alone. That's why divine performance and action is not always what is needed. Just like those moments I had friends there who just sat with me and their presence was a comfort to me. It let me know I was not journeying through this thing alone. It's the same way we have the same reassurance. Emmanuel, God is with us. God is with you. And I hope, beloved, that word speaks life into you, that God is with you. Not just with us, but is and always will be and will never stop being with you. That is what you need to be reminded of today. That is why this day is so profound, not just in the exchange of gifts and not just in the festivities, but knowing this, that we are not alone, that you are not alone, that God is with you. And I cannot say that enough to someone who's sitting now in your own space of affliction and misery, laying in your own bed of emotional affliction. You are not alone. There are people you don't even know praying for you and counting on you and who want to encourage you and who are on assignment by God to sit with you and be there with you. All you have to do is be receptive to the divine presence, not just of God, but those who God sends on assignment to be with you in this moment. What Israel needed to know in the aftermath of the destruction of Jerusalem and their temple was what the writer of Matthew reminded them of through the birth narrative of Jesus. One, the Lord saves. And why does the Lord save? Because God is with us. Jesus and Emmanuel. The Lord saves. God is with us. Maybe that's the mantra someone needs to recite to yourself today. The Lord saves. God is with me. In my moment of deep and utter devastation, the Lord saves because God is with me. When I feel terrified and overwhelmed, the Lord saves. God is with me. When I feel like giving up, throwing in the towel, the Lord saves. God is with me. When it seems as though people have left me and turned their backs on me, the Lord saves. Jesus, God is with me. Emmanuel, let those words sink into your spirit today, beloved. Again, this word is not for everyone, but for those who are struggling today, who are hurting today, the Lord saves. God is with you. 
Don't deny those feelings of loneliness. They are real. They are real. But something I learned, because nature has a way of giving us great lessons. One writer said one time that it is in loneliness and isolation that the caterpillar gets its wings. In loneliness and isolation, the caterpillar gets its wings. Maybe this season of pain needs to have a new perspective. Maybe you're getting ready to get your wings. I believe that, that in this moment, you're getting ready to soar. This is why the psalmist said that God can turn, oh, thank you, God. And God can turn your mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, your mourning into dancing. In those seasons when I felt my woke, my most wounded, I felt the wings starting to spread. It was the dawning of my soaring season. Somebody needs to hear that today. This day, God, I thank you for the new birth of hope. This day, God, I thank you for possibilities that abound in my life. This day, I thank you because I needed to be reminded that the Lord saves that God is with me. You needed to be reminded that the Lord saves. Jesus, God is with you. Emmanuel, that's a reason for rejoicing. So today, maybe you decided on this day, I'm not going to answer the phone. I don't really want to talk to people today. It's painful. Maybe, maybe, maybe when that phone rings or that text message comes in and people who care about you are checking on you because they know it's tough today. Instead of rehearsing the narrative of loneliness, shock them with beauty. When they say, how are you doing? Let them know. I'm getting my wings. I'm getting my wings. And it is my soaring season. And it might look a little murky. And it might look a little uncomfortable. But new birth ain't ever easy. You're getting your wings, beloved. You're getting your wings. Come on, lean in and let's talk to God. 
God, we bless your name on today. We thank you, O Lord, for how you're moving right now. We thank you for your presence, O God. God, thank you. You're still saving because you're still present. Lord, thank you for deliverance and companionship. God, thank you for opening doors and then escorting us to the threshold. God, thank you for making ways and then being a partner in the journey. God, you save and you are still with us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. And we say, amen. Amen, beloved. Amen. Listen, I pray that you continue to have an amazing day. I pray that today continues to be a day filled with love and peace and joy. And then for those of you who we already said today is challenging, it's a little painful. Reach out to the connections you have. Don't be ashamed of your feelings because you are not alone in feeling lonely. But remember those words I shared. It is in loneliness and isolation that the caterpillar gets its wings. You're getting ready to soar. You're getting your wings. This is your soaring season. And don't be ashamed. Because when you can fly, who wants to walk? Soar. 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 Until next time, much love, peace, and many blessings. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward.